will not address the grievances of the Egyptian people. We are deeply concerned about the images and the events. The Egyptian government needs to engage immediately. This moment of volatility has to be turned into a moment of promise. Inspired by the uprising in Tunisia, Egyptians took to the streets on 25th January 2011 to protest the regime of the former president of Egypt, Hosni Mubarak. The call for the revolution first started online through social media platforms, and later ended with hundreds of thousands of Egyptians taking to the streets and joining the revolution. Journalists and activists played a monumental role in documenting the revolution, not only in Egypt, but also in other conflict areas, including Syria and Iraq. In this podcast, we will talk about the role of these journalists and activists in covering the revolutions, the challenges they faced during their coverage, and the efforts they've put in to deliver important information to their audience. You're listening to the first episode of the Visualizing Conflict podcast brought to you by SALT. All interviews included in this podcast were conducted during a Visualizing Conflict conference at the University of Copenhagen under the title Photojournalism and the Politics of Participation, organized by International Media Support, IMS. Let's begin with Egypt, where Haid al-Kashif, an actress, director, and activist, joined people in the streets of Cairo during the revolution in 2011 and decided to cover what was happening around her. She believed that it is important to reflect the reality and visual material that people can see and interact with. And because she wasn't happy with the mainstream media's coverage, she decided to reflect the events of the revolution through film. Because there was no alternative narrative in the beginning. It was only Al Jazeera because people didn't want uh, the state TV in and a couple of other freelance journalists. But there was no uh, or not much of a proper narrative that was being uh, transmitted in the beginning. That's how it started. We would, I would just film pieces of raw footage uh, of what's happening and, and put it online just for the sake of information to get out. But as the time passed and as the year passed and the revolution became more complicated, we became more aware and organized. Later on, the issue of campaigning started rising and journalists and activists needed to do more than just documentation. In many situations, visual storytelling was used as proof for human rights cases, where activists intervened to take action against injustice. So, for example, no to military trials for civilians, which started in March 2011, was a ground root initiative because we started getting being aware that they were prosecuting protesters via uh, military courts. And again, it was it was lawyers, but uh, humanitarians, but also like just activists like me or people who became active during the revolution, to be more precise. So that became a cause where we're documenting now testimonials, we're reaching out to people to know more, we're getting to know the laws more, so we're doing uh, diagrams, we're talking to lawyers. So that's becoming you going to something rather than just filming what is there. So it's really like for an activist to be filming of like we call it like active journalism or like photojournalism, citizen journalism. It it, it was an experience that I built uh, and other people built through being part of the revolution and knowing the different reasons or the different goals that each thing you're documenting can affect or can reach out to. 
Egypt is becoming increasingly dangerous for journalists, who are using various platforms to document incidents and convey messages in conflict zones. Aida believes that sometimes the camera makes the journalist a target. Uh, and you're not looking really around, you're focusing on what you're shooting. So that was something that you had to just build experience on and know your enemy and how they move and like kind of uh, guess what is the safest position for you uh, to be in. However, the fight against fake news and verifying images and videos from war zones has been a big challenge for international journalists who seek to reflect the truth to the world. You know, I can use my eyes and ears and I can use the camera. That's with me. I can use my uh, my pen and my notebook and, 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 and document what's happening. We spoke to Najib Khaja, an award-winning war journalist. Najib has covered the war in Syria and Afghanistan, while using all sorts of tools to verify stories, images, and videos from battlefields. I would say that it, it, it has been very difficult to discuss the reality in Syria because the media, especially social media, has been... Uh, flooded by information from different parties and uh, for me the biggest challenge has been to refute uh, realities presented by certain parties in the conflict because I have been, only been reporting from the rebel-held areas for example in Idlib and in eastern Aleppo and that's why I talk why I talk about it I don't talk about the reality in Damascus in central Damascus. I don't talk about the reality in Tartus because I have not been there. So I do my utmost to try not just talking to sources, you know, that I film or I interview, but sources around them and, and you know, try to give them a sense of protection so they so, so, so I can know as much as possible. And, and I talk to other journalists too that I respect, that I know, who are serious. And, and, and this is my way of working. Part of the experience of working in conflict zones is building a network that can support the reporter in accessing footage from areas where a lot of people cannot enter, or where entering can be life-threatening. Therefore, building bridges of trust with sources in these areas is very important for war journalists to properly do their job in the field. We're all just protesters, um, like anyone else in the square, we just have a camera. So how do you build a network where your images can really reach the maximum number of people? And that took also um, a lot of time for people to also feel that you're a trusted person, that you are a genuine protester with no agenda. I mean, other than the agenda of the revolution. For example, in Western countries, they report a lot about Syria or Egypt for that case. And they, they don't go to the places either because it's not their way of working or because it's not possible. And then they're dependent on sources on the ground. And this is a very long process that you have to get to know people. You have to check up on their information. You have to repeatedly find out that the information you get from this source is true before you start narrate this. Najib says that covering stories in conflict zones can be challenging. Because sometimes they interview individuals who later change or hide their opinions or statements as they may feel pressured to do so by others or those in positions of power. Other journalists, they will have difficulties talking to people again because maybe they can interview somebody and we'll, and we'll stand there and we'll praise the Ba'at party and he will, he will praise Assad, the Assad family. But he will, he will probably, if he's not in favor of them, because you have people, you have Syrians, you know, who are favoring the Syrian government and wants this rule but you but the people who are against it they they they're too uh, intimidated to tell the truth revolutions helped reporters discuss topics that were not on the table previously 
According to Aida, issues like female equality and violence against women were not publicly open for discussion before the uprisings. Since the uprising uh, in certain countries like Egypt, the issues of female equality and um, and violence against women uh, and harassment and assault and all those issues uh, has uh, become on the table 24 hours and that's a huge step even if it didn't reflect on reality or it didn't really change reality yet but just talking about it uh, so much so publicly so openly and having a lot of women uh, brave enough to to go on tv and and on social media and talk about their experience is already in itself uh, for me a, a great step forward we tend to focus on the story itself but we never know what happens behind the scenes with journalists and activists who help shape our understanding of conflicts by exposing themselves to danger while maintaining the quality of their coverage. You are listening to the first episode of the Visualizing Conflict podcast. All interviews included in this podcast were conducted during a Visualizing Conflict conference at the University of Copenhagen under the title Photojournalism and the Politics of Participation, organized by International Media Support, IMS, with funds from Danish Arab Partnership Program and CETA, in addition to the research group Images of Conflict, Conflicting Images at the University of Copenhagen Department of Media, Cognition and Communication. My name is Maisel Alami and this episode was produced by Rabia Hamamsa, Sabrin Taha and Doni Hanna and myself from South Podcasts. Stay tuned so we can share more stories with you in our coming episodes of the Visualizing Conflict podcast. Visualizing Conflict.